Hello, welcome to Subject Matter Tabletop. A podcast about board games and the subject matter that animates them. I'm Jordan Tynes. And I'm Steve Gotzler. And we are here today with a special episode, a casual catch-up, as That's we right. are calling them. We have the casual catch-up. After Gen Con. We are back. We are slightly recovered from Gen Con. We have caught up on sleep and... Uh, just uh, managed to process the experience a little bit. And we thought we'd share our thoughts since we promised that in our preview episode. That's right. We're going to go over some of the things we talked about before. Give us, you know, give you rather, give you all our Gen Con download uh, takeaways. Not exactly table talk takeaways, but con talk takeaways, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) All very casual. Mostly unprepared here. Uh, we have a yeah. few notes about things that we want to discuss. I think we'd first like to just have a couple of quick shout outs. Um, generally uh, mention that we're very appreciative of the uh, policies that the con had in place this year with uh, regard to requiring vaccines and masks and helping people to feel um more safe while we were all there. Yeah, everybody did a really great job, um, you know, just getting on board with the safety protocols, and it was a really great and uh, sort of like, you know, felt like there was a lot of solidarity there in terms of people just wanted to get together and were willing to do whatever it takes to, you know, have the con and be back in one place together doing the stuff that they love. So that was fun. We should also acknowledge that the, the there's Gen Con has been a little in the news a little bit over the last week mm-hmm. uh, since it uh, made a statement uh, uh, sort of against the new anti-abortion law that went into place in Indiana, and we just wanted to say that we are very appreciative of Gen Con making that uh, statement. And that we are also upset by the Indi- the Indiana abortion law. Just so a reminder, Gen Con takes place in Indiana. And so right, it takes place a, in Indianapolis. Yeah, and they bring a lot of economic uh, growth to the city of Indianapolis. And so there's some uh, discussion and questions about how um, that will affect the con going forward. And it's just uh, good, we think, that the con is using its platform to um, make it known that it is uh, that we're not happy about the uh... yeah there was a really great piece on Polygon I don't know who wrote it I don't have the author's name at hand but there was a great piece on Polygon discussing this and actually laying out the degree to which Gen Con is an extremely profitable event for the local economy there in Indianapolis like the most which I was surprised actually to hear because they have a lot of big conventions that go through Indianapolis mm-hmm. and I just always kind of assumed that like the agricultural farmers one or the firefighters of America one would be bigger draws, but apparently not. Um, so yeah. And there's some previous for this. I think the article also mentioned that there was a similar situation several years ago when Indiana's legislature was passing discriminatory, mm-hmm. legis- um, discriminatory uh, laws against same sex marriage and things like this. Um, so, uh, you know, it would be interesting to see how it develops. They are, quite comfortable in Indianapolis, Gen Con that is. They are quite comfortable there. The The city does a lot to welcome them. Um, the city works really well for them and for us because it's fairly cheap. You know, mm-hmm. if this conference or a convention, I should say, was happening in like Los Angeles or Chicago or New York, our rooms would all be a lot more expensive and going out to eat would be a lot worse and all that stuff. So, you know, there are definite benefits, but it's good to see that they've, 
you know, that they're using that leverage in, in any way that they can to try and exert some influence over the politics of the state um, to the degree that they can, but we'll see how it develops. Yeah, it's a very similar story. Like the people that we meet in Indian, Indiana, for the most part, are really wonderful and, and very welcoming. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would be a shame if uh, there was, you know, this relationship was disrupted because of um, these obviously awful uh, policies that are going into place that go against uh, what the Gen Con community, generally speaking, is, um, you know, uh, is all about. So yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but that being said, uh, let's get to the good stuff about games, uh, which uh, is what we're all here for. That's right. um, Steve, how about you? Notice any uh, general themes this year at the con? Yeah, so we, you know, we often do this when we're walking through the exhibit hall for you know days on end, as we mentioned briefly last time. That's one of our favorite things to do. You kind of like observe your like your body's sensors take on like an overload of information for hours at a time, and then eventually, after like you know twelve or sixteen hours, you start to your brain starts to sort of like pattern match and, and <laughs> you can start to parse it a little bit and see things. And one of the things that I noticed, which also again could just be the things that I looked at. So take all that with a grain of salt. It's just my brain. It's not actually right. a finely tuned algorithm. We have, um, we have one, one path through the Yeah, through right. The uh, I, I noticed that a lot of people's games right now are incorporating sort of like 3D cardboard components, which is to say like a cardboard component that you assemble once on first play that as adds a three-dimensional shape, usually through, through just sort of like slots and locks. You know, it's like a carved piece of cardboard that slots in and then locks into place. And you create like a little cardboard structure that gives the um, gives the player board and the game state like some three dimensional depth, and it gives it a kind of like almost like a miniature would do, but it's not a miniature. It's like cardboard punch outs that you assemble. Um, right. I saw that a lot. Um, there was one in particular yep. that stood out to us because we almost bought the game. We were really interested in it. Uh, it's called Ten Penny Parks, where it was like a like a like a carousel circus tent that you assembled for the rondel mechanism. Um, but there were others as well uh, that we yeah. noticed this with. Yeah, I think. Um if if mousetrap were made of cardboard yeah right you know mousetrap is a game that everybody knows it sticks up out of your table right and it's sort of like that but made of cardboard sort of like a pop-up book kind Mm -hmm, of vibe mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. yeah the question i have always for little things like that is is it a gimmick is it a novelty? Well, uh, I think, or is yeah, it, I think it is, right? I mean, <laughs> does it add anything to the gameplay to have, I think have it, a 3D element? I think it adds some things. You know, it's nice to have that. It, it makes the player area and, like, the game board more interesting visually and, and tactilely. Mm-hmm. But I do think ultimately, like, you know, the designs all, I'm sure, all work just the same without it, right? It is a bit of a, a sort of a gimmick, but there's nothing wrong with it for that, no, yeah. you know? Yeah. I guess it's like sort of having a certain type of art, but yeah. you know, I think that's one of the things that we always ask on this show is, is um, does it help convey the subject uh, more effectively or does it, how does it change the way that the subject is being mm. conveyed by the game to the player? And uh, I don't know, it'd be interesting to kind of come across that particular feature that 3d cardboard feature on an episode that we play with a subject matter expert and say hey so uh think this cardboard piece communicates anything about your subject yeah that'd be a good question i wonder what they would say deck building was everywhere so we mentioned this actually Mm. in our preview episode deck building uh just to recap is basically in the game 
you're all assigned. Usually every player is assigned the exact same little hand of cards. And over time, you're adding cards to your hand. They are filtering into a deck of cards as they grow. And you don't really know what's going to happen. You, you know what's in the deck, but you don't know what order all those cards are going to come out. Yeah, and there's there's a range, right? So like there's range. There's, it ranges from probably like on one, hand, one end, um, something like Dominion which is really just about like uh, fast-paced and concerted deck building. So there's a market of available cards that are commonly available, but in varying amounts. And everybody uh, sort of like takes turns buying cards from the market to build towards particular strategies and then constantly shuffling and playing cards on their turn to buy more and do other things. Uh, On that end, to the other end of the spectrum where you have something that's really not even necessarily deck building per se, but we might be called like deck construction, which is sort of like a Magic the Gathering type game or Android Netrunner or things like this where you're putting together or Arkham Horror, which is another very popular one, where you're putting together decks of cards given certain constraints. There are certain like build constraints that you have to abide by, but then you get to like design an entire deck in advance. So you don't build it throughout the act of gameplay. You build it in advance. You construct it within certain parameters and then you try and use it to win the game. So you have to, you're sort of like, know, you know the game's systems, you know the, the constraints uh, in advance for the deck building and you try and like build like the fastest car, basically. It's like right. I'm trying to build the best machine to like play this game. And those are two very different experiences along a shared continuum of, continuum of sort of deck building as a mechanic. Um, but we saw lots of examples of both. Yeah. I was going to say, we saw a fair amount of what you were just describing too. deck construction just seems to be a really popular theme right now. The, the deck, deck building, deck construction. Um, and usually it's handled almost the exact same way in every single game, but it's just in combination with other stuff uh, that we see it. It's kind of everywhere. Yeah, um, I mean, it's one. Of, I'm not certainly not complaining about that. It's one of my favorite types of games to play. Yeah, um, yeah. I love me some deck construction. Um, yeah, there it does seem like there's a lot, but the, also I, I sometimes wonder with these things like maybe there just always has been. Um, I don't know. It's hmm. hard for me to tell sometimes whether maybe we're it's just a noticing new, yeah a new thing or not. Same yeah. with the cardboard punch outs. So maybe I just noticed that one game, and so then it was like, oh, I see this everywhere now. Um, well, yeah. I had a similar experience with auction. When you said that, I looked over at my shelf. There are a fair number of games on that shelf. None of them and punch out cardboard structure. I don't. I can't really find any with cardboard punch out type. How many of them have an auction bidding mechanism? Well, there we go. There's there's another one that we saw a lot of. We saw a lot of auction, uh, different types of auctions going on. I really love an auction mechanic. I read um, in Senate the magazine mm. that we mm-hmm. uh, both read. Shout it's, out, uh, great magazine! Yeah, it's a great, great magazine. It's called uh, Senate. Subtitle: Board games are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, that auction, adding auctioning to your game, is the best way to add suspense without adding luck. Mm. Which yeah. sounds cool, right? Auctioning is, I mean, we don't even have to describe it. You know how it, most people know, I think everybody knows how an auction mm-hmm. works, right? Um, it, that, 10, many 20, games 25, use them. 30, right. 35, right. $2,500. <laughs> $2,525, $50, $75, $80, we, 90, hey, so $3,000. You're, you're jokingly <laughs> saying this, but we, we got a good dose of that in... Uh, yeah. 
in the auction at Gen Con. They in the consignment auction shop auction was, hall room, yeah. That was our first time going into the auction room while an auction was happening. It was the it rare was collectibles option. And amazing. there were items yeah. going for the numbers that I was just impersonating. And I was trying yeah. to do my best to impersonate that master auctioneer. I think who was what was the, the highest show. number we saw? It was like over four grand, over th- right? No, it was over three. I don't think we saw someone spend over four. But the one that was over three was so exciting. It was very suspenseful mm-hmm. uh, because there were two folks like just playing chicken just staring each other down and it like there was two people left at like 1500 and it didn't stop until like 3700 right uh, it was just these two folks with their arms in the air just staring at each other going higher yeah. and higher and higher and, and higher the banter higher. was great it was why everybody was yelling <laughs> at them and, you know it was awesome it definitely it was, put the like amount of money i was spending on board games in perspective because right, i always feel right. like i always feel like oh man i go crazy here i spend too much money on games and then we yeah. walked into the auction hall and it was uh, in a within a matter of minutes almost four grand had been spent yeah, wild. Another thing that I just like get to point out, shout out that I noticed across the exhibit hall this year was more and more I'm seeing games really being conscious about the diversity in the characters that are being represented by the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a couple of examples of that I, off the top of my head were uh Arch, Arch Ravel, uh, yeah, game about competitive yeah, the, crafting, the like crafting knitting game. Yeah, they had really yeah. intri- they had clearly made a very concerted effort in their player character boards. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was inclusive. great. It was very refreshing to see yeah. some so very wide uh, range of diversity in that. Um, Hoop Gods by uh, Looks Colorway Labs, mm-hmm. um, Colorway Games game, Labs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A great, great uh, looking game about. Uh, basketball, uh, mm-hmm. street basketball, street ball. Yeah, we didn't mm-hmm. actually get the full demo of this, but we was right next door to that. It was called Factions Battlegrounds, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and it was about. It was like a you know seemed like a pretty typical dueler. I kind think of there was like, some deck building. There may have been some deck building, yeah. but it also was all about representing cultures from around the world, which mm. is a interesting claim and premise. I, I you know, yeah. uh, maybe in a future con we can investigate that one a little further. But yeah. in general, there's still uh, plenty of issues with representation in games, as you'll hear For in sure. just a moment. But For um, sure. <laughs> it's nice to see progress in, in the right direction. There's definitely like an upswell of interest and in not just interest, like effort in this area amongst small scale indie design uh, design studios, especially. Yeah. Uh, but also in some of the big houses, too. So like, for instance, this was not a game from this year, but a game from last year, Unfathomable. We right. were both pleasantly surprised to had a non-binary character as one of the playable characters, that was which great. is yeah, fairly rare. Um in a game from a company like Fantasy Flight, at least to my knowledge, maybe I'm being ignorant here, but maybe that's been going on for a long time. But I was, it seemed new to me. Yeah, yeah there's there's a lot of a lot of representation of different uh, physical abilities, right? P- folks and mm-hmm. folks with different uh, mobility assistive devices mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in in games, which is also nice to see. Yeah, it's very rare. Um, because you know, I think the the typical stereotype is that your character, you know, for some reason has to be you know, uh, you know, superhero basically. Right. And, and so it's nice to see that anyone can be a superhero. Yeah, uh, that's right. In games. Mm-hmm. That's right. So how about, uh, games that we mentioned in our preview episode? Uh, Lacrimosa was 
still looks incredible. Didn't yep. get to see it. They don't have production copies yet. We held it. We held the box. We held a shrink wrapped <laughs> copy. Uh, and, and we're like, like, you know, like, can we have this? And, and he's we're like, like no, Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, so that one TBD, you know, still, still in the works. I guess it was, there was a couple of folks we talked to who were like, yeah, well the, you know, it just didn't get here in time. The pallet didn't arrive or whatever. Right. So that was still happening, you know, still disruptions in the global shipping network. Um, and so we didn't get to see much of Lacrimosa. What else did we discuss? First in Flight is st- is like not even being, like no, they don't have pre-production copies of that yet. So that obviously wasn't there. Real um, quick back to Lacrimosa, right? Yeah. So the, the concept seems like it could really work for subject matter tabletop at some, some, some point. Mm-hmm. Because it's basically, uh, it takes place after Mozart's death. And I guess this is his, a historical event that occurred where right after his death, um, there was an attempt to finish the his last um, piece, uh, which is called Requiem, I believe, right? Um, and uh, they send out basically people to all different parts of Europe to to try to figure out how the music is going to come together and and uh, find track down different composers to do that. Yeah. And uh, the, you as you work on it, it fills out a a sh- sheet music, right? And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, And he said yeah. that the sheet music, supposedly, uh, people who know sheet music are like, and and Mozart's work will say when they look at this game, oh my gosh, they got it right. You know, they, yeah, they, that was they, that was the claim. They, yeah, right. Well, so we'll see. I, I think. I mean, I I'm, think I'm not that our mission in that. life is to sort of like play gotcha with games that take on subject <laughs> no, matter. It's not. But um, not. it looks awesome. The game looks awesome. It looks super fun. I love Mozart. I think it would be really great to just like listen to a bunch of Mozart and play it with a music historian or for something. sure learn more about Mozart as we're playing it. Yeah. Uh, what um, else did we talk about? One of the first booths we walked into was uh, Hippocrates. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, Hippocrates. That's right. She was. Hippocrates. We were given the correct pronunciation. Yes, we're saying uh, that with with enthusiasm because uh, we were we were corrected while we were standing mm-hmm. there uh, in yeah. in a friendly way. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, by Game Brewer, the person we spoke to there was very, very lovely and and had uh, you know wonderful things to say about mm-hmm. the games that were in their booth. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Stroganov was another one that was sitting there. Uh, Am- Amygdala, which looks kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I would love to try that at some point. It's mm-hmm. a game about emotions. But uh, Hippocrates was a um, game about the historical figure. And as she was explaining it to us, uh, it became very clear that it, they had done a lot of research about the history of that, that time period yeah. and how... Um, Basically, the it, it, it advent of modern medicine took place because mm. of this this historical figure. So I snatched up a copy immediately. Yeah, we're gonna definitely gonna have to play it with somebody yeah. who's a sort of historian of ancient medicine. Um, yeah. It'd be really cool. It'd be really cool to play. It looks. It looks. Um, we, did they have it set up? They did probably later in the weekend when we yeah. walked through. They weren't demoing it, so I, I cannot confirm or deny how massive it is on the table, which yeah. is one of the things we lo- we talked about a lot last Didn't time. Didn't we see it? We saw it in the BGG Hot Games room. Did we see it laid out? Yes. And it was, it seemed big, but not, but not the biggest big. game we've ever seen in our entire Not any lives. bigger than like Lisboa is going to be if you no. play it in person no. and not online, right? I mean, it, it, the, the game, the tables in the BGG room are not that big and it fit on there, so... 
So yeah, that one looks great. We'll have to play that sometime soon. Um, yep. uh, Crescent Moon was not available for us to look at. Um, but we did stop by and have a nice conversation with Osprey as well about it. Um, and we got, we got reached, we sort of exchanged contact info with them. Yeah. And so they may be getting in touch with us. Blazon sold out very quickly. Yeah. Blazon's the, the game about, uh, medieval heraldry. Yeah. And um, we, it looks cool. Um, it looks very deep and, and it has cool illustration and, but, uh, um, is that another Ian O'Toole joint? Yep, yep. He, that's the very famous artist Ian O'Toole. He he. We saw his name. That was a that was a, tra- a theme yeah. that I Ian saw O'Toole this year. Ian O'Toole is working. He's working yeah, a Ian lot. Ian O'Toole was on maybe yeah. what a dozen games that we saw. I don't know what the first one that that sort of popped uh, in the last two or three years, but ever since then he has just been illustrating and doing visual design for game after yep. game after game, and they're all good games too. Usually, so he so did. Congratulations on. to Ian O'Toole. And we uh, stopped by the booth later after they sold out because you could not get near the booth while they were selling it it was just jammed yeah it was mobbed with demo tables yeah because it's a fairly small game so like in contrast to hippocrates it took up very little amount of space it was like a small round like a small high top right with a cloth draped over it and so so there was like these immense crowds of like 10 people around one cocktail high top um trying to see this little game and they had two or three of those maybe max maybe it was probably only two because 25th Century is not like a huge publishing house. I think they had like two high tables set up. Yeah. And so the first time we cruised by, we kind of peeked at it and like tippy-toed to try and see it. Um, but we kind of said, well, let's get out of here. You know, we're not going to, you know, hang around in this in this sort of like huge queue to try and peek at this game. We got so much to see. We'll come back. When we circled back, it was sold out. Yeah. But we did talk to the guy for a minute because mm-hmm. we could get close and talk to some folks. And he said, quote, I learned so much about heraldry by playing this game. Yeah, that's right. We'll have to maybe give that one a closer look when we can actually get anywhere near it. Yeah, that one looks cool. We also also followed up with a couple of people whose games we have already played on the show. So we found Hit Him With The Shoe Games, um, who is a company that's, I, I don't know, I guess probably at least started, if not run, by uh, Matt Shoemaker, who designed Bee Lives, which we played in our first episode. Check it out. Mm-hmm. He has a new game coming out called Red Bernoose, which we mentioned, I think, we mentioned on the preview episode as yes, well. Yes, we did. Uh, it looks, looks cool. really cool. There's some really awesome female representation in that game mm-hmm. that is historically accurate. Yeah. Uh, they, there was, a, I guess, a fighting force of a female militia uh, yeah. in this in this particular conflict uh between i'm guessing algerian residents and the invading french is that right i would guess so yes I, yes it was no it was it was the french flag was the end it was the like little automated um yep. opposition deck and uh the the sort of fighting force of of uh, female militia seemed awesome and badass and uh it just was really cool and to see in this in this game yeah. That was another game with deck building as a mechanic. Yeah, that's right. And there was a really interesting and cool mechanic built into that deck building system that was because you know, when you deck build, there's usually often, just to like real quickly, usually there's a, a me- mechanism by which you can trash cards. And it's usually called mm-hmm. trashing, like trash them. And yep. what that means is you can thin something that's no longer useful or that is now like a dead end from a strategy you had previously adopted, but which is no longer like getting it done for you. You can thin out those cards from your deck so you can hit the cards you want more quickly and more often. 
And this game has a really interesting and like respectful mechanism for trashing quote unquote cards for like thinning cards out of your deck because the cards often have representations of human beings on them. So Matt mm-hmm. Shoemaker was mm-hmm. talking to us about the game or actually it might have been another employee at, at Hit Him With The Shoe Games, but somebody was talking to us about the game about how they didn't want to have to like, uh, you know, like trash these people from your hand, right? So I thought that was really thoughtful and interesting and it, it, lo- it looks yeah. like a really cool game. Um, and Matt Shoemaker wrote an article about feminist war gaming or a chapter, excuse me, in a collected edition for Rutledge so a couple of years ago. So he's certainly done his due diligence as was already obvious given his work on B Lives, right? Um, yeah. So it's going to be, I think, another really, really interesting uh, subject matter game for us to look at some point down the road. Yeah, at some point. it's It does look, I mean, I'm just excited about it generally. As you know, if you listen to episode two, I'm not immediately attracted to cooperative gameplay, <laughs> but I. Um, but you had such swayed. a good time playing Strike. I did. Speaking of episode two, we also went over to TSA. They had a booth. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's right. And we looked yep. at some of their games. They have a great, or it looks like a great game called Space Cats Fight Fascism, which I already mm-hmm. had a copy of. Um, and so we talked to the, the designer about that, talked to Brian Van Slyke about that. Um, we also both picked up copies of their newest game, which is called Com- Community Garden. Mm-hmm. which also might be really fun to play with uh, somebody who is a lot of experience like building and developing or maintaining uh, community garden efforts, uh, especially in like urban areas. We, we loved running into them. Uh, they, they were, they were very, uh, both, both uh, hit them with the shoe and TESA being able to talk about the show with them and how it interfaces with their design process and things like that. It was, it's very nice. It was a great moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. couple moments. How about a USPS? Yeah, that was, was that? crazy, wasn't it? Yeah, it's the Great American Mail Race. I got a copy of that. Uh, it's basically, it seems like a pick up and deliver game, right? I, but I but comes with an actual stamp yeah, that you right. like one of the stamp pushers. You know, like the mecha- the spring loaded ones that have a mechanism. Yeah. So you go like, chunk chunk like the thing they stamp your passport with. Yeah. How wild was it though that it's basically I think sponsored by the United States Postal Service? Yeah, we we asked them about it. It's at least like yeah, I'm not sure what the language you would use. Sponsored, sanctioned in some I mean, sort of like public the relations there was a mail truck them. in the in the exhibit hall. They had a pristine you had real live USPS yeah. mail truck that was sitting in the hall with all their stuff in it. They all all were kitted out in official USPS uh, (laughs) uniforms that had been given to them, like bucket hats, shorts, polos. One person had a really cool jacket, like a like a like an all weather jacket, awesome mail jackets. Yeah, and the the, and they had a mailbox. They had a real uh, mailbox sitting there as well, and you could Um, you could mail stuff in it. It was crazy because like we had looked at the game and I was like, oh, fun, a game about the Postal Service. That might be interesting. It's like a real life subject matter. We got there and they're like, oh, yeah, no, USPS is totally on board. They gave us all this stuff. They're like behind the game. It's like, what? (laughs) So if anyone listening knows a mail carrier who would be or a former mail carrier uh, who would be or uh, a U.S. mail historian, if if those exist. Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah. If you know someone, send them our way. We want to talk to you and play this game with you. Particularly somebody maybe who has experience working for the Postal Service at some level that organizes and deals with interstate logistics because the the board game map is the whole United States. Your mail carrier might only 
sort of stay in one zone, right? For their, for most of their duties, they just they do the same city or whatever. Um, but yeah, I would love to play that game with a postal service employee. That'd be great. I mean, given the degree of the postal service investment in the game, we might even be able to get someone from the postal service to like sit down yeah, maybe. and play, play maybe. with us. Maybe there's contact info in the, yeah. in the rule book. Pretty funny. Uh, but that was like definitely a highlight of the exhibit hall floor. Those folks yeah. were really bringing the we exhibit went, hall. We game. kept going back and being yeah. like, well, there was a mail out. truck there. I sat in it and stuff. It yeah, cool. got a picture of you. <laughs> um, maybe we'll have to post that picture of you sitting in the mail truck. I always wanted to be a mail carrier. When I was younger, uh, I always thought it was a cool job, you know, the uniforms, so the true. trucks. Also, like, mail's great and very important. Everybody needs mail. Seems like a really important job. And then when I was older, I wanted to do it for different reasons because I was living in Santa Cruz and it was always beautiful out. And I thought, wow, what a chill <laughs> job. You just get to, like, walk around in beautiful weather in this amazing town. Of course, it's a lot harder than that, I'm sure. How about Brazil? Should we should we crack mm-hmm. that one open? Because we were we were we I mean we gotta address that because we um, brought it up in our preview episode about how we thought it was gonna be a, a tough a tough sell for us, but we went to the as as I promised. I'm gonna yeah. go to that booth in an open with an open mind. I did do that. Um, we. You know, it was there. It was selling like hotcakes. Yeah, that one sold um, out too. Right. Just to remind folks, this is the one where it brought, made us start talking about Orientalism. In, uh, no, not Orientalism. No, that was Crescent Moon. But, but Crescent we were Moon. just talking about colonialism. and We were just talking about colonialism. Forex games. games and like, yeah, how, forex you know, Is it irresponsible right. to make a game about colonial Brazil where two of your core actions are exploit and exterminate? So we walk up to this booth and I say, hey, what's going on here with this <laughs> uh, this game? It seems like... There's a very strong colonial theme going on here. Is how does this game address that or deal with that? Mm-hmm. And uh, they were not prepared to talk with us about that. Well, um, uh, or to the contrary, they were very prepared to tell yeah. us to go away and not ask them questions about that. Right. Yeah. It was yeah. a very quick reaction. Um, it was not a very nice thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were told that if we are trying to get upset by this game mm-hmm. we should not play it yeah we got woke mobbed basically yeah basically the person was like okay woke mob on the scene get out of my face if you're if you're just coming over here to be upset about something then you're going to be upset about something and yeah it's like, oh okay uh, that's interesting so we tried to calmly continue to engage and we did get a little further. We, you know, we asked some nice questions and cooled the the person who was talking to us down a little bit, and just at least away from that knee jerk reaction a little bit. And um, we were told that the, that it's a game that's intended to replicate history, mm-hmm. uh, as if that's a good excuse for whatever it is that it's doing uh and that there is there are some accompanying texts that come with this game there are some a brief sort uh, of essay on history and designer's note on the game design i you know i i don't think i'm i'm not even close to sold as to being to feeling okay about uh what this game is um how this game is is treating representation of historical uh, this historical time period mm-hmm. um i would say you know for at least from my perspective in short that um 
any game that is replicating a period of of history that involves significant amounts of colonialism like the period of history that this game is is replicating um and is not doing anything to sort of critically engage the player with that 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 subject yeah then it's actually kind of a setback yeah i mean i i I would agree i mean i i without getting too into the weeds we did read the accompanying historical material it's quite long it's about you know eight double column pages um and there's a lot of really rich information there uh, about the history of brazil that gets its subjects um and sort of dynamics within the history of colonial settlement in that part of the world that would be more uh interesting i think to try and sort of deal with in the game as opposed to just having them be referenced in in an addendum historical essay and then not dealt with in any substantial way in the game. It's sort of shocking because the essay demonstrates a a very wide and deep knowledge of colonial history as well as Mm -hmm. the resistance to colonial occupation. It talks about Mm -hmm. the Palmeiras, which is like a really famous maroon settlement of uh, escaped enslaved peoples in, in Brazil. It's like, you know, in the history of uh, sort of black radicalism, like a, like a very like prominent example of emancipation struggles. It mentions that in the historical essay, but I don't think that figures in the game at all. I mean, we didn't play the game either, which we should say, yeah, right? So we haven't played enough. it. Uh, we did speak to several other people who did play it. One designer who will remain unnamed uh, said that they played it and they thought it was fun and they enjoyed it, but they thought it was like a totally crazy engagement with colonialism as a historical topic they said it was like the most unconscious uh yet cosmopolitan engagement with colonialism they'd ever seen in a game they said it would be yeah. akin to playing a game about american conquest where you can play as george washington or as martin luther king at like the same table in the same game with two people right yeah. um without any sort of understanding of like all of the nuance and um detail and development that occurs in between those two characters to have them like sitting in the same game space um, so yeah, I mean, I have my reservations about the game. I certainly, I think for me, I would rather have a conversation with the designer. It seems like the designer has like a much deeper knowledge about the history of colonialism. Who is from Brazil, right? Who's from Brazil. Yeah. Uh, and who I think it's, it appears wrote this essay that authored this essay that we read, which clearly has like a, an awareness of some of the sort of, I think they use the word evil in the essay, like the quote unquote evils of colonialism historically. Right. Um, but there's a weird sort of like caveat at the beginning that says basically all this interesting stuff exists in the history of colonialism, but for the sake of like simple and straightforward gameplay, it's not going to be incorporated into the game. In the game, we're all just going to unselfconsciously adopt like imperial motives and replicate the process of settlement through exploitation, extermination, expansion, and exploration. And it's like, uh, okay, you know, that's sort of where they lose me a little bit. It sort of feels like why engage with it if you're not going to try and engage with it, really, when you clearly have... A very deep understanding and much more personal than myself, I'm sure, if you're from Brazil, a much more personal understanding of these issues than than I do. Um, but yeah, I think for us, the mistake is maybe just talking to someone from the publisher who's trying to sell it, <laughs> as opposed to someone who is invested in its creative design in a sort of deep way. I think we might have had a better conversation there. Also, I would like to play it before I really sort of like fire off about it, right? Um, so, so yeah, I mean... I wasn't persuaded by anything that, that we saw or read, but I'm still open to playing it and giving it a try. Yeah, I would I would like to to play it and give it a, give it a shot at some point too. I think it's gonna be, well, we'll see. I, I don't want to I don't want to be too presumptuous. I think it, we'll have to we'll have to give it a shot maybe sometime. Yeah, we mentioned Hoop Gods already. Yeah, uh, there, but um, 
were also thrilled by another group that was there that at, at the same table, um, but they go by Zintivist uh, Studios. They have a game called um, Critical Care, mm. which we really look forward to playing yeah. on the show at some point. It looks amazing. Yeah, it's about like trauma uh, nurses in the ER. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I- I- ICU. Oh, ICU. Okay. Yeah, you're you're taking care of patients in the ICU. And oh, it was okay. made by someone, designed by someone who uh, is an ICU doctor. So uh, who was such a pleasant person to speak with. Cool. Um, who was very enthusiastic about the game, the subject matter, and everything. So really look forward to that one. Yeah, yeah, that one looks great. We should definitely try and play that. Um, I would love to play Hoop Gods. Um, the designer of Hoop Gods wasn't actually at the booth when we dropped by. But um, we've reached out to them and we left some stickers and stuff. And I would love you to get a little f- squishy basketball. Yeah, I got a little squishy basketball from them, which is cool. Um, yeah. But Hoop Gods looks super fun. And it looks like the kind of thing that's like designed to be played like, you know, almost like an arcade game where you like take turns and like winner stays, loser has to leave the table. So I would love to organize like maybe a little mini tournament with like mm. several experts. Maybe we could get like a street ball expert. Somebody plays a lot of street ball. We could get maybe somebody from one of the basketball programs at our schools who plays more organized or, you know, and then the, you and I can jump in there as just total, you know, total greenhorns. And yeah. uh, we, can, we can see how it goes. Um, as someone who played basketball in, uh, yeah, when I was 12. elementary school, I <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who has been watching basketball and playing NBA 2k occasionally since the yeah, age right. of 11. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, but do love it. I do love basketball. Uh, what else did yeah. we see? Uh, Pandasaurus. We yeah. uh, just hats off to Pandasaurus. Everything there looks, looks, uh, yeah, they're really know, killing uh, it. Yeah. Their, their booth is amazing. They have tons of great folks working in the booth. It was just really a, a wonderful experience for us. I mean, so someone could, you know, easily have had sure. a different experience, but we, we, we really love, uh, the, the folks there, the vibes there, um, they were demoing the new game from um, um, Elizabeth uh, Hargrave. Hargrave, yeah, uh, yeah, which is co-designed. I think there was two names attached to it, if mm, I recall. Okay. Uh, yeah. But it's another nature theme. It deals with yeah. foxes. Uh, Elizabeth Hargrave designed the very well-known game now, uh, Wingspan. Mm-hmm. So uh, we saw them demoing her new game. Looks cool. Uh, looks like your has to do with foxes yeah i honestly didn't really get know too close of a look at it um no. but it had they had some really beautiful banners up it looked interesting i mean i mean yeah. basically i'm excited to learn more about it as it develops because it seems yeah. like it's pretty early stages of prototyping we played their game wild style wild style was great fun yeah it was a lot of fun it was a high speed high octane simultaneous action game about tagging yeah about about graffiti art yeah doing graffiti art in an urban landscape uh you know a game is good or you know a game is you know you know we enjoyed a game maybe i should say uh when both of us end up buying a copy immediately after demoing it when really both of us have enough games on our hands that we try usually to not double buy because it's like well if if one of us has it then we'll be able to play it if we really need to uh but we both demoed wild style and then immediately just picked up a copy and yeah it's you know it it wasn't unique in a lot of the things it did but it created a kind of a unique experience for me Mm -hmm. it's very Mm -hmm. the that simultaneous action thing where really fun everybody is like you know doing stuff all at the same time and you know trying to keep track of what other people are doing but also you have to really focus on what you're doing Mm -hmm. seemed like it lent itself really well to maybe like a high octane day of 
running around the city yeah. graffitiing of like you know doing something that's illegal that if you get caught will be high stakes and you have to like you have a window and you have to hit that window you got to get it up you got to put the tag up right now because you have 15 yeah. minutes yeah so again if you know anybody who is a graffiti artist who yes. or uh, particularly we'd love to talk to somebody who has a lot of experience you know the many years of graffitiing mm-hmm. um that that we could talk to them about uh how this game communicates that that'd be great the experience of doing that yeah i would love to do that i would love to play wild style with someone who has a lot of a lot of experience um doing graffiti art trick-or-treat studios you bought a you bought a game from them. yeah i picked up nightmare productions which i just was sort of charmed by endlessly it's a it's a central mechanic there again is auctioning so we were bidding on elements of horror films of like schlocky horror films and then if we won the bid, we could incorporate those elements into scripts, which we had in front of us, which were basically like fill in the blanks, right? You have a script that has like a slot for a monster, a slot for a weapon, a slot for a location, a slot for a composer, etc. And so not all elements, not all script elements are created equal. So the lots are randomly assigned and then you flip them over and it's like, oh man, that's a really great monster. That's like a four star monster. I need that in my movie. I need it. And so then you bid money and everybody's got a secret stash of money behind their little screen. You each represent your own like horror film house. Uh, and you just, it's a race to produce movies and you know, you get awards for worst ones. You get the war- awards for having the best ones, for having the first ones. There are horror cons along the boards. So sometimes it's like not just an auction. It becomes like a convention and people resolve in certain orders, depending on who has the most star power for people to make appearances at the con. It was just a really fun, cute little thematic game that I could imagine playing at least once a year, every year in October and immediately, right. immediately, I said to, to I think I might said this out loud to, that there will be a house rule that when you complete a script, you do you have to give us a uh, off the cuff synopsis because the script comes with the title, so you don't have to come up with the title of the movie, and you have the elements in front of you like a Mad Lib. So tell us about the movie. Um, right. I just think that'd be fun. And we we thought that um, we do know somebody who is a uh, horror movie producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, director and uh, we won't we won't name names until maybe we can get them to play it at some point in time that would be a a really fun episode yeah that would be fun yeah I I picked up a copy this is not a new game and it didn't surprise me really but you know it sort of surprised me because I bought a copy Zhang Shi oh um, yeah yeah, it's a it looks like a phenomenal it's actually not a board game yeah it's a it's a tabletop role-playing game yeah Right. It's, so it's like Dungeons and Dragons. And mm-hmm. um, Jiangxi is a, uh, I think it translates roughly into like reanimated corpse or something like that. Yeah, they're right? sort of or, like zombie vampires, kind of. Right, kind of a mix right. of both, yeah. I got really excited about this because I have a lot of students for who are of East Asian descent. And um, I think that there's not a lot of games that um deal with the subject matter of the of that diaspora Mm. in the united states specifically yeah and this is about that it takes place in san francisco it's about a uh um, a chinese family that a chinese american family who are living there running a restaurant Mm -hmm. by day and uh, dealing with these jiangxi yeah creatures at night yeah and it just sounds like a whole lot of fun, but also something that I can share with uh, some of the students who are, um, you know, tr- are doing some research about uh, games that that perform this kind of representation. Yeah, and the game um, 
is just it's just really cutting edge in a lot of the things that it's doing with that subject. It would actually be a really good game, great game to play on the podcast, to be honest. For sure, um, we should try it. Because yeah. uh, there's a lot of different interesting things happening. So for one thing, the players compose a multi-generational family. So you have somebody who's playing as like a grandparent and then people as parents and people as children. So you have that kind of like built into that like variable and differentiated immigrant experience is built into the sort of family structure. The family owns and runs a restaurant. So like half of the game play that's the the restaurant half you're actually you're still dealing with challenges but the challenges are like the challenges of dealing with um, discriminatory legislation from like the you know the health department or whatever uh hassle anti-asian racism from hassling police officers or customers but that brings up lots of really thorny questions about how you conduct a role-playing game in that kind of space that deals with that subject and the book the book that it comes with has all these really um, thoughtful and long sort of in-depth sections about safety tools about responsibility about how to play a racist ncp and what to do and what not to do and how to establish good boundaries and how to like some never do's and some like you know sort these out with your player group you know questions there's a whole section on like cantonese cuisine there's a whole section on um responsibly playing as someone who works in food service uh which i think was really interesting uh and then at night of course so it's like it juxtaposes this like the sort of real world terror of like uh, racism and discrimination with this like fantasy terror at night where you're killing these like magical uh these like magical creatures who are like threatening to suck people's chi um so it seems like a well, really interesting game. I'd love to play it. There are lots of like um, actual play videos on YouTube of folks like a dice breaker doing it. If anyone's interested, you go check those out. Um, I would love to play it. Um, it's definitely one that I usually bring up in the classroom when we talk about tabletop role playing because I think it's along with sort of like Wander Home from Possum Creek or or like uh, Coyote and Crow. Those are just some examples of like some really interesting things that people are doing yeah. with role playing games um, that go far beyond the limitations. Yeah, it, it, you said all those things about that game. I had read a little bit about it, but you said all those things about it in the vendor hall, and I just said, okay, fine, I gotta get a yeah, copy yeah, of this. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, if you're in my in, in, any of my students listening and you're and you're excited about that, let <laughs> me know, and I, I'll bring it to bring it to my office, and you can check it out. We should probably wrap things up a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, there, we had some excitement about the uh, Central Michigan University Press. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. They're doing amazing things. Shout out to them. Check out their, um, what is the name of that uh, It's a certificate program. course in, is that what you're asking about? Yes. Yeah, yes. it's a certificate course in applied game design. It's a continuing ed certification that you can actually get continuing ed credits for in most states. Central Michigan University's Center for Learning Through Games and Simulation. Yeah. So check that out. They have a link to that, that the series of courses. Yeah. Looks great. Looks like there's some, I mean, there's we're huge fans of some of the people who are doing the classes. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can sign up for that uh you may even see one of us and, and yeah, we'll we be, might be uh, your classmates, classmates with you yeah. <laughs> yeah. so um uh, yeah that's right yeah we're always excited to see whirly gig we went to a john, uh, john company preview party yeah. uh shout out to the the whirlies they were both there doing yeah. amazing things very very kind um, generous uh generous folks uh I always uh, are whenever i encounter them on social media or in person spoiler alert we're gonna be doing some uh Cole, uh, some Cole Worley design games on this show at uh, some point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are going to play uh, either John Company and or PAX Premier at some point. Yeah. So uh, those are always great to see and good people to talk to. Uh, you know, 
we should probably say we love miniature painting now. Oh, yeah, we did a we miniature, did a miniature painting, painting class, um, <laughs> class and both got super into it. Yeah. 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 We were like zoned out like with tiny little figurines and we were like tiny little paint brushes, painting stuff. And yeah. the guy who did the class was awesome. Yeah. Um, he was really nice. Yeah. He was really sweet. Um, and you know, as educators, we understand how intense it can be teaching one class after another. Mm -hmm. He was doing great. Yeah. He was a great teacher. He was, his advice was sage. I mean, the miniatures you and I came out of there with, you know, we're not winning any medals in competitions, no. <laughs> but I got to tell you, it turned out yeah. a lot better than I could have imagined when I we said We put that. them on our nightstand for the rest of the weekend. That's right. We like, That's right. Yeah, in the good. hotel room. Yeah. <laughs> we were taking um, photos, sending them to our friends and family, being like, look at this. Yeah, check right. it out. It's, it's, this is a funny one, but uh, every year when we buy games, instead of carrying them home with us and paying for another checked bag, we uh, just box up our, mm -hmm. our games, or we should say we drop them off with yes. Eric. Yes. We Eric. don't box them up. We report to business services in the convention center yes. at the, the, the RICO, R-I-C-O-H, however you say it, uh, services. And our guy, and, Eric, oh, he's yeah, a pro. Just, he's a pro. Eric, Mike? if you're listening ever, uh, we love you. Yeah, you do man. a great job. Love everything you do. Um, Appreciate yeah. you. Uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's just the best service. Uh, my box actually arrived today. Everything is in pristine condition. I mean, I, can't, I won't even go into it. It's so boring yeah. to everybody else. But I was, I was telling Jordan before we started recording, like the, the length he goes to, to like, if only I had had this sort of um, skill set and uh, fastidiousness when I was packing up my house to move this summer. Um, you know, it's just incredible. He's, he's a great guy. He does great work. He is like the king of shipping. Yes. Um, he got my stuff here, pristine, totally packed to fit. Like it was incredible. Jordan, he like helped you make a custom box out of like two yeah. other boxes yeah. <laughs> that he had on hand because there wasn't one that yeah. was the right measurements. He's incredible. Eric's the best. Yeah. I guess just to wrap, like general community appreciation. I, I mean, Gen Con every year impresses us. I, I know everybody's experience is different. Um, but in general, we see people, uh, really care for each other throughout the week. Um, it seems like it's a high intensity situation. Mm -hmm. We could all be so much crankier than we yeah, are. Right. Totally. And, um, it, we're all generally speaking doing a great job. And so, um, Thank you again for a wonderful year. Yeah, ditto. Couldn't have said it better myself. Just loved being there. Loved being back with the community. It's great to see everybody. Didn't see anybody yeah. get married this year, though that was magical no, when we saw we that did. happen. We did. Two years ago, we saw somebody get, uh, three years ago, we three saw years somebody ago, get yeah. married right there in front of us mm -hmm. in the middle of uh, all the activity. Yeah, in the middle the of the sort of like food truck uh, block party area. Uh, yeah, we were standing yeah. right next to them, too. We were probably in all their pictures. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Just sort of with so a quizzical if, if look. you're listening, we'd love to see those pictures. <laughs> yeah, yeah, share them. Yeah, please. Um, I hope you're, you know, I hope you're happily married. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so with that, on that so, note. Yeah, we love you, Gen Con. Thank you. Uh, you know, hey, uh, back to subject matter tabletop. We have some new exciting things on the horizon uh, not a f not another full episode for another couple months, just because we're a lot of stuff going on yeah. in our lives right Back now. To but school we days. are going to be doing a couple more of these, um, and hopefully featuring some new voices in special edition episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So stay tuned for that. Subscribe, like, review, rate, yeah. every all those things. Recommend, Sh share, share with your friends. Yeah. yeah.
Yeah. Um, and, and if you if you listened, thanks for listening to anyone who's listening. Thank you thanks for, listening, for listening. listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, we'll see you around the table. Mm-hmm.